we're going to be bouncing around in Scripture today. I don't have um, the Scriptures um, inside of the computer to put it up on the screen, um, but uh, we're going to be a little bit in Genesis, a little bit in Revelation, and a lot in between. Um, this summer, uh, we're addressing a question is, is why does God allow evil and suffering? And uh, it is such a good question um, for us to consider. E- even the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing uh, for this series, um, I, I've been a little bit surprised at how dealing with a big question has been encouraging to me. It's just, it's, it's been building my faith um, because I don't, I don't know about you, is, is, but there's been times where I ask why. Um, you know, why is the world such a crazy place? Why are there so many hard things that go on? And, uh, and being able to address that um, to my own soul, um, but also being able to address it when the opportunity arises is, is good. Um, this summer, there's a couple of books that we're going to be um, providing, uh, we, giving these away. The one is, is, Why Does God Allow Evil? by Clay Jones. Um, we have been trying to get these in now for two weeks. They were all supposed to be here on Friday. We got a real small batch of them, um, but we have more coming. And so um, by next week, we would love for you to be able to take one of these. I also want to say is, is that if you have um, a, a friend or a family member that's struggling with a question like this, is you're more than welcome to take an extra one. And, um, and so we want to give those out by next week. I want to introduce this series by addressing um, the question, why does God allow evil and suffering? And so I'm going to do kind of an overview of it, kind of a walk us into this series, and then we'll take an aspect of it as we move into the summer. It's, it's good to engage this question. There are two other questions that I want to ask this morning. The one is, is why is this an important subject? There's the obvious reason of just, hey, it's a question people ask a lot. But I want to break it down a little bit. Is why is it important to talk about this? I think there's three reasons that we can um, think about. The one is, is past evil. The other is, is present evil. And then the third one is that evil will, evil and suffering will become very present to all of us at some time in our lives. Meaning is is that it will be up close and personal. Something that may come when we don't expect it. That past evil and present evil We can look back and we can remember things like September 11th, 2001. I was having lunch with a friend this week, and on that date in 2001, um, we had gone to the high school, we were lifting, we played a couple of games of basketball, and uh, got home. And when I got home, I found out about what had happened at the Twin Towers. And we spent the rest of the day watching the news. 2,973 lives lost. The American response reminds us that large-scale evil and suffering most of the time 
for most of us up until that time, had remained distant. Yes, we'd seen things a little further off, but this one was very much up close and personal. From a distance, we can kind of look at other times in the not too distant years where we just watched and saw just terrible things in in Sudan. Millions of people were raped, enslaved, or murdered. In 2004, there was a tsunami where 280,000 people died. In 1994, the Rwanda genocide lasted for 100 days. The death toll every day was the equivalent to two World Trade Tower disasters. Every day for 100 days. More recently, we have the shooting events. We have the war in Ukraine. We have full-blown drug wars in Mexico, Colombia, and at least four other countries. Here in Montana, this Wednesday, I was involved in a meeting with Governor Gianforte. He shared that in the first three months of this year, there was more fentanyl seized than in all of last year. And just one week, a couple of weeks ago, there were eight deaths due to fentanyl overdose. There were several more overdoses just in a one-week period of time. And I was really impressed with our governor and those that are representing us in Montana of engaging this head-on. But due to some of what's happening on the southern border and a lot of other things with just the general insecurity of the world, we're now dealing with a drug problem at a level that we've never experienced before. That and... Suffering and evil become really personal. I was reading Randy Alcorn's book, If God is Good. And he was telling a story of teaching a seminary class on what scripture says about heaven and meeting Randy Butler. When I heard that name, I thought, hmm, that's so interesting. I know a Randy Butler. And then he started telling the story. Randy just retired as the pastor from our sister church in Salem, Oregon. And uh, a number of years ago, his son passed away suddenly. Randy, in talking to the other Randy, Randy Elcorn, Randy Butler, revealed that the reason he was taking the class on heaven is so that he would understand better what his son was experiencing. After the class, Randy said, for 20 years, God gave me a perfect life, family, and ministry. Then Kevin died. And every morning for the last four years, I have screamed questions at God. I asked, what were you thinking? Do you really expect me to show up every Sunday? And tell me, or tell everyone about how great you are. And there was silence. In the silence, Randy says he slowly began to hear God. 
And God began to answer his questions. For, um, for the men that were doing the fellowship breakfast, the devotional book that we got a few years back, that was written by Randy Butler. Why talk about this? The presence of evil and suffering is the number one reason people cite for rejecting faith in general. There was a Barna poll not too long ago that, that asked the question, if you could ask God only one question and you knew that he would give you an answer, what would you ask? The most common response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? John Stott, author and pastor, the late John Stott says, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. And it has been the single greatest challenge in every generation. The distribution and degree of evil and suffering appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. It's a good reason to talk about it. It's because evil and suffering cause people to question faith in general. Evil and suffering are also atheism's cornerstone argument. Sam Harris writes this. He's a well-known writer atheist. He says, atheism is not a philosophy. It's not even a view of the world. It is simply an admission of the obvious. And then he goes on to scold Christians saying that intelligent people, you can put in brackets there, such as himself, um, intelligent people aren't dumb. And uh, that's not his words. (laughs) That's my words. Intelligent people are dumbstruck by you, referring to Christians, by your denial of tangible reality, by the suffering you create in the service of your religious myths, and by your attachment to an imaginary God. It's interesting because when you just break that down a little bit, it, he, he blames religion and particularly Christians for our faith that he describes as intrinsically violent. Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and other writers like Christopher Hitchens claim a moral high ground when it comes to violence. They insist because religion is violent, then atheism is inherently more peaceful. That said, when we look at history, in fact, I was reading this, I was reading this article just this morning that, that kind of looked at their claims about atheism being intrinsically more peaceful. And the article said is, is their solution when they went and looked at their solution, their solution to eradicate the violence was more violence. 
Very interesting. But when you look at this claim that atheism is intrinsically more peaceful, we could look back in history and we could look at the French Revolution. The Jacobins implemented a reign of terror in an effort to impose state atheism. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed. The USSR from 1925 to 1947 implemented something similar. They had an organized persecution of religious believers spearheaded by the League of Militant Atheists. Some historians believe that 20 million people died during that period and and the period, uh, all of it led by Stalin, who's very popular in Russia today. Um, But as many as 20 million people died during that time. Just a little information about the Ukraine. Stalin forced, he forced a famine on the Ukraine and starved 7 million people. Lenin, coming after, Lenin's red terror was modeled after the French reign of terror. And during that time when Lenin was leading, at least 140,000 people were executed. Anti-religious campaigns in China. China right now has the largest population of religious prisoners in the world. They're saying that over 1 million people have been in prison since 2017. The Cultural Revolution, which really is is what led to the current governing of China now. The Cultural Revolution, they say, has killed more people than Hitler and Stalin by one-third more. I don't think any religion or non-religion can claim a moral high ground. There is a brokenness that affects humanity in general. Another reason why it's important for us to talk about this. An unprepared faith leaves us unprepared for when evil and suffering come our way. Over the years, I've seen so many people leave the church because when suffering came, they did not know how to respond to it. When we don't know scripture very well, when we don't know how God views evil and suffering, when we're not prepared, when evil and suffering comes, it can have significant impact. Significant impact. I think all of us kind of know this. We, we just know is, is that when life starts beating us up, when life starts beating us up, we don't always know how to respond. Why talk about it? Well, suffering, evil, are clearly present. We owe it to ourselves, to our families, and to others who don't understand. 
we owe it to ourselves and others to know how to wade through a question like this and to know how to trust God in spite of the presence of evil and suffering. Live long enough and you're going to experience it up close and personal. The only way to avoid evil and suffering, death. And, um, and I think the church has often left people unprepared. Interestingly, there's only a, I, I had no idea about this, is, is as I've been studying, is, is there's only a couple of religions that actually deny the existence of um, evil and suffering. And I heard one speaker compare them to grape nuts. Is, you know grape nuts? It's neither grapes nor nuts. It's just this, 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 this failure to deal with reality. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it is up close and personal, isn't it? It's something that we're going to have to, um, have to kind of learn how to navigate this side of heaven. So how can we discuss this well? How can we discuss this well? And what can scripture tell us? Well, there have been, so I, I decided that I was going to become pretty familiar with this subject. And so I started um, looking for the books um, that are out there on it. And I started purchasing books and I had no idea that I purchased over a hundred dollars in books um, just from doing this. And I thought, how am I going to read all of these books? And, uh, and then we got the two books that we're giving out this summer. It is, it's absolutely amazing. The number of books that are written on this subject. And then as I was interacting with Randy Alcorn's book, is, is he, he was saying is, is that you can go back literally thousands of years and you can see this same question being dealt with by the philosophers and the speakers and the writers, the historians talking about the people that were writing about it before, um, before, you know, before that. And we don't even have the manuscripts on that. And they were talking about people that were addressing this question. And... Um, and he mentioned is, is that he picked up a book from 150 years ago that dealt with this exact same question. And he said, the only thing that you have to do in order to make this book relevant today is change the illustrations. And everything in it, everything in it when it comes to the questions and the attempted answers are exactly what the rest of us are writing about right now. That was really interesting to me. But if you were to, if you were to take... If you were to take and answer the question is, is, hey, what would it look like to find kind of the one resource that would cover this question about evil and suffering, that would cover it most clearly, bluntly, passionately, with both rigor and honesty and extensiveness, what would that book be? What would that book be? If you were to take one book that would really cover this subject well, what would it be? Well, it would be Maybe in a place that you wouldn't think of, or that many people wouldn't think of. The most, the most unlikely place to find it covered clearly, extensively, with rigor and with passion and with honesty is the Bible. The Bible. When you begin spending time in scripture, you find that God does not in any way minimize or ignore, or ignore suffering and evil. 
in Psalm 6.3. It says, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me, save me because of your unfailing love. And then he says, among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? And so the psalmist is saying is, is, hey, Lord, you know, spare us, spare me. What good is it if I go to the grave because I can't praise your name? I'm in anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Psalm 13. Psalm 13 starts with verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. So interesting, isn't it? Habakkuk, the prophet, cries out, Habakkuk 1, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. There is strife and conflict abounds. And then we walk into the New Testament and we have Jesus teaching us how to pray. And in that prayer, there's this little phrase, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. That we're instructed to, to, to pray that God would deliver us from evil. Scripture tells us in Romans 12:1, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's interesting is, is if atheists were to read scripture, their best arguments are in the Bible. You know, it's okay for us to say, how long, oh Lord, how long? In Revelation, it tells us that people who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Ask the same question. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it says that when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They cried out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long? How many of you have ever asked that question or something similar? How long? And something similar could just be as, is why I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, there's, there's just the suffering that comes, the, the, the struggles and whether it's cancer or whether it's um, some other disease or whether it's um, death, whatever it is, is to be able to say is, is why, you know, all of us understand that there's a time or a place where, where life ends, but then there's those, those, those times where we still wonder is, is it doesn't seem to make sense to us. 
I can actually remember the first time that I engaged this question on a significant level. I was in high school. I put my faith in Christ when I was pretty young. And actually, is, is when I put my faith in Christ, and part of that was, is my response to the brokenness and the evil in the world. Because I, I knew the world didn't make sense. I knew that there was so much sin and so much hurt and so much pain in the world. And when I got, had it explained to me for the first time, just that, that how sin has affected the world, I had no problem with believing in sin as being more than just a, a little problem. Because I saw the significance of sin in my life, and I could even see in my own heart and recognize that, hey, things weren't right. And I knew the trajectory of the way that my life would go. I knew the trajectory that apart from repenting of my sin, that I could almost see into the future and see exactly what was going to happen because I could track what happened in the history of my family. I could track a history of anger and violence and addiction to alcohol. And so... At 13 years old, when I'm looking into the future and I'm realizing is, is, hey, the reason why there's so much of this, the reason why there's so much anger and violence and alcohol addiction and a lot of other stuff, the reason why there's so much of this is because of the presence of sin in a person like me. And I can replicate my family history. Or I can say right now, Lord, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I want what you want, which is different than what I'll get without you. A couple of years later, I'm playing basketball in the heights of Glendive. There's... um, it's actually, um, there's a place in Glendive that's uh, this up high spot and you can look out and you can see this incredible Yellowstone Valley um, below. And I was uh, house sitting for Dr. Fazzati and there's a basketball court across the street and I'm up there and everything had been going wrong for a, quite a period of time. Is I, I could look at my school and and my friends and just see is, is there, there was, there was just one bad story after another. We'd already had a number of kids who had committed suicide. Some of them close friends. We had some die tragically. Um, and I was, I was up there playing basketball and I remember there were a couple of things going on. One is, is that I kept on missing. And I was a basketball player at the time. And you kind of yelled at God, why didn't you make me good at anything? And, uh, but the other thing is, is, Lord, I do not understand why the world's so messy. And, um, and there's a couple of things that he said to me. Is, is Brian, is I... I want you to trust me. And if I made you good at other things, like basketball, which just didn't matter, is 
you'd be so interested in those other things that you would forget about me. And Brian, I want you to trust me in these other things too. And that was so important because in the next year, four kids in my high school made a suicide pact. Two of them were successful. Both of them, um, friends. And uh, one of them I did not know. And I just saw just this replication of suffering and terrible things. Lord, why? I want to very quickly give you the bookends of Scripture. Very quickly give you the bookends of Scripture. In Genesis, in Genesis, there's, there's creation. And, and over and over again, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, God saw all that he made, and it was good. Seven times in Genesis 1, it was good, it was good, it was good, which means it fit his design and his purpose. If you look at the Hebrew, it, it says that it was good those, those first times, and then it, it, the last one is it was very good. It was very good. Interestingly, is this good is never fully defined in Scripture. It's just assumed. But we know that it, it's something good on a qualitative level and on a functional level. And, and we get to Genesis chapter 2 and it says, but there was one thing that was not good. And that's not saying a, a, a moral statement. That's saying a qualitative statement. It was not good that Adam was alone. And so God gave Adam a helper. It was very good. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we have God's good creation invaded by a deceiver who deceives humanity. And so we have creation, and then we have the curse. That's at the front bookend. The other bookend that we have is a revelation promise. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That looking into the future, we're told is, is that, that God will make all things right. That all of these things that, that we see this side of heaven is, is that all of these things will, and, and there's that, he will wipe every tear away. No more death, mourning, crying, pain. And so if you can walk away with something this morning, it's the bookends of scripture is, is that yes, it starts good. There's creation, good, so good. And the capstone of creation is humanity. And then a deceiver, a deceiver deceives humanity. And the results are sin, suffering, evil. That's the bookends. God will make good everything. At the center of history is the cross.
And the cross is God's response to suffering and evil. Because on the cross, we have the love of God on full display. That he loves us so much that he literally took suffering and evil upon himself. That at the beginning, that all the way from Genesis, that he had a plan. And that plan is hinted at in Genesis. And then we see a little bit of the the picture made clear as we walk through the Old Testament and as we, get to the, as we get to the New Testament, we see the picture get clear and then the clarity comes with Jesus that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. That he so loved the world that he sent the son Jesus because the world was already condemned. He didn't send him to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. And that Jesus comes as the perfect son of God to remove the condemnation, remove the curse. And he does it by dying on a cross and taking suffering, sin, evil upon himself. One of the things that scripture says is that the responsibility of the church, the responsibility of the church is for us to reflect God's goodness, that it's our mission. It's our mission to help people see God's goodness. When we understand clearly the brokenness of the world and when we respond to it, when we respond to it by not ignoring the sin, suffering, and evil, but by really engaging it just like he does. He doesn't hide the brokenness of the world. Is There's no book that engages these questions more than scripture. And we're told that his purpose in the church is that we would do his good works here, now. That we would stand against the evil and suffering by by really engaging the evil and suffering, relieving it wherever we can. And ultimately knowing is, is that the only relief comes from Jesus' death and resurrection. And the reason why we're involved in missions where we help provide homes for children that can't live in the home that they're in, or the reason we provide water for communities where 50% of the kids die by five years old. And ultimately, the reason why we take the gospel to places here, there, and everywhere is because we've put our faith in Jesus. And because we know that it's only through Jesus that we have forgiveness, that we have the one who cares about everything that we go through. I want to encourage you um, to really engage this topic this summer. What I've found is, is I've been very convicted of my own sin as I've started reading this. And I've also been convicted about just understanding the subject a little bit more. 
so that possibly I could have a little bit more compassion on those who are really suffering, are really under the influence of evil. So I want to encourage you um, to be present when you can and when you can't catch up um, to um, read the book. Um, if you're not a reader, you can go to Audible and you can purchase the, um, the, um, the version where you can have someone read it to you. Um, if that one's not on Audible, I forgot to check if it is, is, is then I can suggest a different one. But um, engage it. And also, you know, pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And pray, deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we close? <clears throat> Father and Lord God, I pray that you'd be with us as we go. Lord, we, we need to remember is, is that you created creation. You said it was good. We are not to reject this world. In fact, you created humanity in moral purity. And then, Lord, because we're made in your image, we are to image you everywhere. In everything that we are and in everything that we do. We're to image your love by actually loving people. We're to image your care by caring for the needs around us. We are to image your response to sin and suffering and evil by hating the brokenness of the world and by being your hands and your feet in the broken places and among the broken people, which when we look inside, we find that brokenness. And so, Lord, the best response we can have is to repent and to say, Jesus, I will follow you. Help me to image. Help me to image all of your glory and all of its fullness. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd go with us and be with us. In the name of Jesus, amen.